part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, if you can open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at a wonderful story about a father today here on this Father's Day. And he is trying to find help for his son who has a lot of different difficulties in his life. His son has some emotional problems, some medical problems, uh, but it all boils down to some spiritual problems. And we see this father who loves his son and wants the very best for his son, kind of desperate, looking for answers as he has for many, many years. And in this desperation, as he begins to seek out help for his son, as he's done for many, many years, he prays what I believe is probably my favorite prayer in all the Bible. It's it's a very simple prayer. It's five words in in some translations. I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, if you've been around Cornerstone for a while, and over the last uh, several years, you've probably heard me refer to that because it is my favorite prayer. It's one that I, I can embrace because I feel that struggle in my own prayer life. Without a doubt, I believe that God is God, that He has sent His Son Christ, that He loves us, that He has redeemed us through the work of Jesus Christ. And yet there is a part of me that struggles when God doesn't answer in my way and in my time. And that causes doubt. Here, unbelief. And so what we see in this very simple prayer that we'll see, and we'll look at the context of that whole story in just a moment, in these five words is this profound prayer, I believe, help my unbelief. Now before we even look at the story, let's kind of break that down a little bit. This prayer, these five words, are both a profession, but also a confession. The profession part is when the Father says, I believe we don't know how much he believed in Christ. Maybe he's just heard a few stories. But he at least believes enough about the miracle workings of Christ that he, that he comes to the disciples and ultimately to Christ to, to get help for his son. That would probably describe a lot of us. We believe that there's a God. We believe that he's a personal God. Maybe we believe that he is a God who has sent his son to die on the cross. And personally, we have involved ourselves in that that we've accepted that as the answer for our sin, and we've come to know Jesus Christ, not just as a historical figure, but as the Lord of our own life, our Savior. And so we very much, as Christians, would say, well, I do believe. But then we come to this place that is a confession. After that profession of, yes, I profess that, that I believe in God and in Jesus Christ, is this confession of this father that says, help my unbelief. It's so important in this profession of what we do believe. Again, you may believe in God and Jesus Christ, the promise of the Spirit, the power of Christ's resurrection, the assurance of his return, the ultimate gathering of all his saints. These are things that we believe. But I can imagine that there are many of you this morning that as you profess that belief in all these things that you just know to be true, and you put your internal trust in these things and say, I believe, then you also understand the part of this confession of this father. Confession where he struggles with having faith because he finds himself in a world of hurt, disappointment, and pain. And we live in that same world. 
I can imagine that many, if not all of us, can relate to that this morning as we want to be people of great faith, and yet we live in a broken world, and so we experience the hurts of this broken world. That as much as we believe about the, these big things about God, that as we live our life and as our life is played out 60 minutes an hour, seven days a week, you know, 52 weeks out of the year, that we live in this struggle and there's times that we truly have unbelief. That's the situation of this father. He's heard some things about Jesus that he's responded to, some might say in desperation, others say in, in, in faith, but he's responded and he's brought his son to the disciples. He's heard of Jesus and so he seeks him out. At this time, Jesus is with three of the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, you can read that story right before in the previous parts of Mark chapter 9. And so that left nine disciples down below that mountain, and that's the first encounter that the Father has. He comes upon them, and he's looking for a solution. He's desperate. And even though we don't see those words of desperation, we can only imagine, because his son has been sick, as we read later on, for, for many, many years, since his childhood. And I can imagine that over this time, that, that there's been many that have promised to cure his son. Perhaps some of those were doctors and physicians. Perhaps others were religious leaders. Maybe others were people who believed in home remedies and you need to do this or that. What we see here, though, is that he comes to these nine disciples. He's seeking after this hope that Christ can bring with a lot of desperation and a leap of hope. It's not too unsimilar to... Uh, the kind of commercials that come on at night. If you've ever uh, had the uh, bad occasion where you just can't sleep at night, most of the commercials that come on, or most of the things that are on TV late at night like that, are these infomercials that talk about can't sleep. And, and there's a part of it that will say, no, no, here it is 2.30, of course I can't sleep. I wouldn't be up watching this commercial if I could sleep. And then it begins to tell you about how this miracle drug or about how this new technique or whatever it might be can help you sleep. I can only imagine how many desperate dollars have been spent on those. And I'm not here to say that they work, they don't work, I don't know. But I, I just know that the desperation that must come, that when we have an ailment, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, and we can't fix it, and we've had it for a long time, a dilemma maybe perhaps even in relationship to our family, that we're looking for any solution. And that's what we find in this story. He's just looking for his son to be healed. And as we begin to see all the events that precede verse 14, the father now is surrounded by uh, nine of his disciples. There's some religious leaders there called scribes and a bunch of people from the area, and they're kind of, at this point, involved in an argument. And the argument is about how the disciples couldn't heal and could not bring healing to the Son. About that time, Jesus and Peter, James and John, those who had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they come down, and they notice this, and that's what we pick up in the Scripture today, Mark chapter 9, verse 14 and following. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, 
and scribes argued with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So Jesus comes down, and of course people are coming around them. Maybe some of the amazement, some theologians, some uh, scholars believe it's because they've come off the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe there's a glow that is still existing there. But these people, they, they love Jesus, and so they rush up to Jesus, and they're amazed at him. And Jesus asks, well, what's going on here? The response to Jesus' question eventually comes from this father who had brought his son to the disciples, or really to Jesus, but he found the disciples first for healing. We see that in verses 17 and 18. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able <laughs> We're not given all the facts or all the details of all the elements, of all the different things that happened when they came. But we read this and we can make two assumptions that we believe to be true. The nine disciples tried to heal the boy, and the nine disciples failed to heal the boy. Now you might be thinking, well, of course not, because you know only Jesus can, can heal. Well, the disciples can't heal. No. God had given them, and Christ had given them the power of healing. You just go back a couple of chapters, Mark chapter 6, verse 13. And they cast out, talking to the disciples, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed. We find that also in Matthew and in the other Gospels. So Christ had given them the ability to, to do healing. That's all through God. They didn't have any special powers themselves, but it was they did have the ability for, for God to heal through their prayers. and So they were a little frustrated. Because in the past this has worked. But in this time. It didn't. And so perhaps they had even promised the father. As the father came up and said. Can, can you pray for my son? Can you pray for his healing? Maybe they had even said yes. We've done that in the past. And certainly we will be glad to pray for him today. We really don't know all that had transpired before. God doesn't record that. We just know these two things. They had tried to heal the boy, and they failed to heal him. So the question comes up, not so much did the disciples have the authority to heal, but rather, why didn't they heal this time? Did they forget some magic words? Did they forget a hocus pocus here or open sesame there or whatever? Was it in the wording? Was it that they just, you know, what is going on here? Was this boy in such a bad condition and that it took a power that they simply did not well, this answer seems to be revealed in verse 19 as Jesus responds to this situation. Look at verse 19. And he, that is Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation. Again, if you write in your Bible, circle that. Because that's the key. Why could they not kill him? Uh, Jesus begins, O faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. This, according to Christ's words, was a matter of faith. Or better yet, a, a lack of faith. Now there seems to be some confusion by, by scholars today and, and who Christ was responding to when he said, you faithless generation. Was he responding to the disciples and their lack of faith? Was he responding to the Father and his lack of faith? 
Was he responding maybe to the entire crowd in, in general in this world that we just in general have a lack of faith? Well, certainly all of those could apply. But then Jesus proceeds to ask the boy, uh, for the boy to be brought to him. So he, he says, okay, why couldn't you do it? You faithless generation. This is a matter of faith. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Verse 21 and 22. And, and Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? The father says, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. When we look at this response, this initial response from the father, if you can do anything, we see the level of desperation. I'm sure you've been there before. Maybe it is with your own children and the needs that they have in their lives. Maybe a, a sick spouse. Maybe a friend. Maybe a mother or father who's sick. Or, or somebody who's just in a dilemma that seems to be prolonged. And it's not just a day or a week or a year, but it just goes on and on and on. You're looking for answers. And you come to somebody, in this case, they came to Christ, or this father comes to Christ. You can do anything. You can do anything at all. Have compassion on us and help us. On one hand, he, hand he comes seeking the help of Jesus because of what he's heard and he's responding to that. But on the other hand, he's not real sure that Jesus can do this. Or even if he will do this. See, that's where we bring in our prayer life sometimes this conflict. I believe, I, I confess that there's still some unbelief. Answer this kind of prayer? Jesus, is this even important enough to you to, to get, gain your attention? Jesus, have you not answered this in the past, even though I've prayed this in the past? Have you not answered this thus far because in some way this is a punishment for something that was done before? Or maybe I just don't have the right words. Is there a secret way that I'm to pray in order to get answers? I imagine even the most experienced Christians, those who have been walking with Christ, a long time in their life, and they've experienced some answers to prayer, that those unanswered prayers sometimes, those dilemmas that linger for not just days or weeks, but months and years, that we do begin to, to wonder, okay, God, are we just praying wrong about this? Well, look how Jesus responds to the Father. The Father says, if you can, when you have compassion, will you, will you help my boy? Jesus responds in verse 23. And Jesus said to him, If you can, now notice, that's not a question. He's not asking a question if you can. He's making a statement of this man's request. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus' response is, is actually a response of a correction, but also an encouragement. Jesus corrects the fathers of faith by pointing that nothing is beyond God's ability. And yet there is encouragement that where there is faith, there is hope for this father's request. The connection that Jesus makes between belief and the son's healing is a very direct one, as seen in the father's response. 
in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Even this father, we don't know how spiritual he was. We don't know if he has a full grasp of spiritual life. We don't know if he has a full grasp of, of who Christ is in the full entirety. He just knows that he's heard about Jesus, and certainly he's probably heard that he has claims to be the Savior of the world. He's heard about his healing, and that's what's brought him, even in this desperate mode, to bring his son to the Savior. So he can honestly say, I believe. And he can honestly confess, will you help my unbelief? The pure profession of my belief in myself is that Christ has ultimate power. You'd ask me if if Christ can do something, I want to tell you, yes, he can. And yet, in my own life, there's a confession that there's times I'm just weak in my faith and I don't really get God. Why haven't you, you know, answered this yet? And usually when I mean that, what I mean by that is, why haven't you answered this in my way? But I think it's smart and wise and correct. See, if you ask me if I believe in Christ and if he can do anything, my answer is definite, yes. But like this man, doubt has begins to come in when results are absent. Think about it. This man has seen a lifetime of people promising results. And now even the nine disciples of Christ have maybe promised. They've at least tried and they have failed. And so his faith is is mixed with frustrations, with questions, with doubts. And yet Jesus has declared that this is a faith issue. So here's the application that you make. Is it just a matter of us having enough faith? Is there a scale of 1 to 10 and, and only prayers that, that kind of reach at least 5 and above get answered and, and Christ doesn't answer anything that are you know 5 and below? I, I think not. Jesus here promises something that should encourage us as we walk this life and as we face this wrestling match of our belief and our unbelief. In Matthew's account of this same story, you know, the Gospels record different perspectives and they just write it differently, but Matthew records this story too. And in Matthew's account of this event, he includes where Jesus says something about faith. Now we already see in, in Mark's account that it is a faith issue. But Matthew explains that a little bit more. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He that is Christ said to them, because of your little faith, because you know, he was asked the question, why, why couldn't we, the, the disciples came to him and said, why couldn't we heal him? And this is Jesus' response. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Now what did Jesus mean? Well, he uses illustration. I think most of those would have been very familiar with, and that day, us, because we're not an agricultural um, uh, society that much anymore, we're, we're not as familiar. But the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds in all of nature. It's, it's really small. And if you held out your hand, you could probably hold 500, maybe 1,000 of them. Yet the mustard plant can be quite large. 
There's even some versions that can be like almost like a, a mustard tree. What Jesus is trying to say here is, should be encouraging to us. Do we have to have a level 10 faith? And in other words, we have to have these in this great, great faith and want to have prayers to be answered. In one way, yes, and in one way, no. But I want you to know that the pressure is not on us in order to have this great, great faith. Because even our faith comes from the very Spirit of God. I believe what Christ is trying to teach us here is that true faith believes not only in the power of God, but in the purposes of God. See, going back to what I said before, if you ask me, can God do anything? Yeah, He can do anything. But most of the time when I, I see a, a lack of an answer to a prayer or something like that, I'm not struggling with God's ability to answer it. Most of the time, to be real honest, I'm answering that I don't maybe agree with the purposes of God. Wasn't that Jonah's dilemma last week in our sermon? Could he believe that, that God could do anything? Yeah, it was the very fact that he believed that God could redeem even some people like the evil Ninevites. He just didn't agree with the purpose of God. That if they turned and repented and turned their faces to God and believed in Him, that God would forgive them. And Jonah didn't like that. There's our struggle. And we see it even here. Not so much that God has the power to do something. Most of our struggle is in the purposes of God. For example, and this is going to be kind of a silly illustration, but I'll go with it. Can God give me or you a million dollars today? Yeah. I mean, before we would even end the prayer, we could have a million dollars sitting in front of us. I truly believe that God can do that. And you can train, change that to billion or trillion if you want to. Okay? Will God give me a million dollars today if I just pray hard enough? Probably not. Now why? If he has the ability, and he loves us, why wouldn't he just give us a million dollars? Here, here's what I believe that uh, is the motivation there. I already have a streak of pride. I already have an orientation to self-reliance and self-dependence. And if I have a million dollars, do you think that would increase my self-dependence and self-reliance? Or do you think that would increase my dependence on God? I know the answer for my own life, and you probably know the answer for your own life. So it's not that God can't do that, but that's not the purposes of God. He wants us to live in faith for His, for Him to provide for us daily provision. Now again, kind of a silly illustration, but I think that it illustrates well that difference between the power of God and the purposes of God. The other principle that I think that we see in this story, in this event, that we need to remember about faith is that faith is not a process as much as it is about a person. In one way, faith is kind of a process, but it's not a battle process. It's not about level one, two, three, four, five as much as it is a focus on the person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Folks, the answer is not in some magical incantation, three easy steps to get what you want from God. The answer is Jesus. And I believe that's where perhaps the nine disciples fell. Uh, we don't know, and I don't know, because we're not told the details of that, but maybe because they had healed before, they just thought, okay, we pray this prayer, we do these things, and healing takes place. And maybe they had turned that into a process 
rather than really a focus on Christ himself. I don't know, because we're not told. But I, but I can assume that perhaps that could have been what happened. But Christ points it back to this faith. Okay, did you, as you were praying, did you really have faith that, of course, that I can do all things? This man finds the answer for his son, but he doesn't find it in a process. He, process, he finds it in a person. And, and it's to this person that he cries out in verse 24, as we read again, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. So what happens? What's the rest of the story? Jesus heals the boy. In fact, we see a, a picture of the resurrection here. The same word that's going to be used for Jesus resurrecting from the dead is what happens because when he heals this boy, the boy kind of falls at first and everybody thinks, oh no, he's died. And Jesus takes him by the hand and, and picks him up. And the same word for resurrection that was used for Christ is used here. And, and so in a way, this is a picture of this boy being resurrected back into life. So let me ask you this, as we apply these principles on this Father's Day. Which is more important, the size of your faith or the object of your faith? Remember, the size of your faith doesn't matter if the object of your faith is wrong. You, you can have faith the size of an elephant, but if you put it in the wrong place, then you put your faith in something that, that cannot provide for you. That's why Jesus said, no, even something like a mustard seed, the faith of a mustard, the size of a mustard seed, placed in the right person, not in the process, but in the right person, believing in the power of Christ and in the purposes of God, then mountains can move. And that's why I challenge you to implement this as a part of your prayer life. To add this Father's prayer to your prayer life. Not as some kind of rote kind of thing, just to, you know, to kind of add on, like, when we end a prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, not just kind of that. And there's nothing wrong with praying, praying in Jesus' name. But don't, don't turn it into a rote thing. I believe, how my unbelief, and then you just kind of go, no, grasp the heaviness of that. God, I believe that you can do anything. Have you been struggling with something for a week, a month, a year? Maybe as like this father for years upon years. And it's as personal, as intimate to you as your own family, your own children. God, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? Because I haven't seen an answer yet. I, I haven't seen this miracle that I've been asking for. This mountain in my life has not been moved. Be encouraged today in your prayer life. By, by professing your belief that God can do anything, that He has all power, but also confessing that God, if you have other purposes, I surrender myself. And I surrender the one that I'm praying for to, to your good and perfect will. For it is that confession, along with the profession of belief, that I believe is truly the miracle of um, and, and what makes this prayer to me so amazing. So on this Father's Day, then I assure you that there are a, a few prayers out there as powerful and as heartfelt as this one. And I like it for men because it's kind of short and sweet. 
You know, we kind of like the things that are kind of direct. You know, don't get bogged down in the details. But oh, that as men of God, as the family of God, that we could reflect the heart behind this simple prayer. I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope that is in Christ. And Father, we do profess our belief today, Father. You are almighty God. Father, we were lost and you loved us so much that you sent us a Savior, Father. You redeemed us from death into life. So, Father, we believe that you truly can do anything. And so, Father, we do struggle in our own walk of faith and in our own understanding, Father, why, why this little boy, Father, had to go years and years and years before there came healing. It could be, Father, like that, that other boy that had been blind since birth, just so that Jesus could come by that day and do the miracle of healing. And perhaps, Father, in your purposes, maybe that's why there's been a delay in some of our prayers. Maybe you're maturing us, Father, and growing us to trust in you more, sanctifying us, Father. Father, help us to believe as much in your purpose as we do in your power. Father, I don't have a lot of faith, but I do have a mustard seed size faith because you are so worthy of that. And so, Father, help me to just trust you. And Father, I thank you for this prayer. It's been my favorite prayer. And I, I hope, Father, and I pray that it will become a part of all of our prayers. That as we seek you, that we would just come before you, claiming our belief in you. But, Father, confessing this unbelief so that you can grow us matures. We love you. We thank you. And, Father, I pray that you give all the dads out there just a great Father's Day. As we pray this in the hope that is Christ. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.